This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Today, our scripture reading is Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Emmaus. My name is Aaron. As you can tell from the framing, I'm the shortest elder of the group. uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. This is... uh, This is one of my most favorite psalms in the book of the Bible, and maybe I just need to get more familiar with psalms, but I enjoy this. And uh, it's kind of interesting this week, we we ended with uh, the blessed are all, and then last week we began with blessed is the man. So we've got these blessed bookmarks uh, on on the each end of these psalms. And that's part of the reason, as Cole mentioned last week, that Psalms 1 and 2 are generally considered the introduction to the book of the Psalms. Uh, it's like if we made an epic movie series of the book of Psalms, Psalms 1 and 2 would be the yellow scrolling part right before the movie starts. <laughs> I kind of have to roll with this for a little bit. Blessed is the man. (laughs) So, like the Star Wars movies, if you want to know what's going on in the entire book of the Psalms, it's much easier if you catch what's going on in the introduction. This is extra true of the book of Psalms because it's just such an epic book. Cole mentioned it last week, but we've got songs in this book that span over a thousand years from the first five books of the Bible all the way to the time before Jesus's birth. And on top of that, Psalms is the most quoted book by Jesus and the apostles. And it's probably because it just covers so much. I mean, it covers such a huge range of human emotions that John Calvin calls the Psalms, the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. He's basically saying that this book is a breakdown of every element of the human experience, all the parts. And that's a bold statement, but Psalms is just an epic book. It deserves a a Star Wars level introduction. So how does God introduce us to a book that spans so much time is the most quoted book by Jesus and the apostles and that covers so much of the human experience. 
What could possibly introduce such an important book as that? Well, last week in Psalm 1, we got a picture of the blessed man, which not only is Jesus, but also shows us the path to be made like Jesus. When we delight in Jesus, like the, the picture of the tree near the waters, we also bear fruit and we also prosper like Jesus. Cole kind of camped on that word prosper as well. It's kind of a tough word in the context of Jesus because his life ended up abandoned, naked, shamed, tortured, and nailed to a cross. But that's how the Bible describes the prospering of Jesus. Jesus prospered because he was so rooted like the tree in Psalm 1 and the promises of God that even in the worst possible season, in the worst suffering of drought, he still produced the fruit of loving God and loving neighbor. He was like the tree firmly planted near the waters in Psalm 1. To put, to put that kind of prospering in Jesus' own words, after he was telling his disciples about his death, he said, take heart, I have conquered the world. In my suffering, I have prospered, I have conquered. So that's part one of the introduction to the Psalms. In, in suffering, we can bear fruit, we can prosper like Jesus prospered if our roots are in the promises of God or in the gospel. So here we are in Psalm 2, which is basically part two of the introduction. We're shown the result of the blessed man. We're shown the result of that kind of prospering, that kind of conquering, the result of the suffering of Jesus. And Psalm 2 shows us that the prospering that led to the cross is the path that leads to the throne. The prospering in Psalm 1 that led to the cross is the path that leads to the throne in Psalm 2. Cole was right. Jesus did prosper on the cross. And here we get the next major truth to introduce such an epic book. Here in part two, we get Jesus, king of the universe. Here Jesus is the boss over every boss. Here Jesus is the president over every president. Here Jesus is the leader over every leader. Here Jesus is the king over every king. Or to use a word that comes out of the apostle's mouth so much, it's hard to count. Here, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. The fact that our king sits on his throne and no one, no nation, no person, no Congress will ever hinder his purposes because he is the king who sits on the very throne of God. That's how you introduce an epic book with an epic ruler. So let's pray and ask this king for his help to understand his throne. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are sovereignly working out your purposes in every aspect of your creation. Um, Lord, we can't even begin to grasp the glory of our King. And yet that's what we're asking. We're asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see 
what we can't see without his help, Lord. I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to just be impressed with and to be in awe of our King. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so here's where we're going. Intro, part two, Jesus is King. We got two parts, the frustration of denial and the blessing of acceptance. And what's kind of like neat about this particular Psalm is it's basically a a conversation between the leaders of the world, uh, the creator of the world and the king of the world, Jesus. Then at the end, we get like a little summary statement from the narrator. So we're just going to follow the conversation and, and try to learn from that. Uh, So let's jump into the first three verses of the conversation and see what the leaders of the world have to say. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The leaders the rulers, the peoples. This is meant to be a comprehensive picture of sin, of the sin of the entire world pushing back against Jesus, God's anointed. In fact, Peter, who's a disciple of Jesus, quotes this verse and applies it directly to the leaders and the peoples who crucified Jesus. They literally counseled together to rage against Jesus. He's the anointed one, which is where the word Christ comes from. Jesus Christ, uh, it's actually not his last name. It's like saying Jesus the anointed. And it just means that he was set apart for God to rule. He was the Christ. So here, here we are with the world rulers, the leaders of the world conspiring together to rage and to plot against God's chosen king. So what does it mean when they say they want to burst their bonds apart? and cast away the cords of the king. What does that mean? And it's actually like a really good picture of frustration. You know, imagine someone being bound up and raging against that bound. They're tied, they're struggling, and they're raging against the restraints, pushing hard, trying to break them. And it's not just the frustration that's pictured. They're also counseling together to get away from the terrible restraints of God's king. So what are those terrible restraints that the leaders and the rulers of the world just hate so much? I mean, it has to be something like super oppressive and and terrible for all the leaders and rulers and and peoples of the world to push back against it, right? Like it's got to be like the worst thing ever. I love how straightforward the prophet Micah puts it. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And Lord is just another word for King. He's saying, what does this King require? What are his bonds, his oppressive restraints that you rage against justice, kindness, humility with the King. Or you could just say, love God and love your neighbor. That's what the leaders and the people are raging against. Those are the terrible, oppressive bonds of loving our creator and the people made in his image. I mean, is that what 
Is that what the governments of the world, is that, is that what our government is known for? Is it just? Does it love kindness? I mean, maybe at times. But more important than that, do our leaders submit and walk humbly, acknowledging the king of justice and kindness? No. Rulers of the world have always raged and counseled together against God and his chosen king. So what does God have to say to all this coordinated effort to push back against his king? Look at the next few verses. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God laughs. It's actually the only reference in the Bible where God laughs. So what's so funny? First, let's be super clear. It's not for a second God laughing at the wickedness that the rulers of the world cause and ignore. God grieves suffering, hates evil, and his wrath is against sin. He does not laugh at wickedness, whether it's caused or ignored by leaders. No. He laughs at creatures who think they have a chance at fighting back against their creator. That's what's funny to him. That the creature could somehow hinder the creator. God says you can rage, you can reject, you can fight against the terrible bonds of loving me for creating you and loving those around you made in my image. But all that frustration, all that pushback to me is just kind of funny. Not only is it funny to God, he goes on to say he set his king on his holy hill, Zion, the heavenly throne. Jesus was not just anointed, not just chosen, but all the raging against him. Even the putting him up on the cross actually led straight to the throne that I've put him on today. That's what God has to say. And now the king himself speaks up. Let's keep going. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So Jesus reminds everyone, frustrated with his position as king, Jesus reminds everyone what God has promised. God has promised that he would be given a throne. And that's what's meant by today I have begotten you. Today I've brought you onto the scene and promised you the world. And not just the world, God promised him the power to dash his enemies to pieces like a potter's vessel, like a clay pot. And Bridget said she'd never done this before, which surprised me. But have you ever taken one of those just long fluorescent bulbs and just smash it over a dumpster? <laughs> right? Like, yes, people... <laughs> uh, it's so much fun. <laughs> and it's, it's also just kind of easy. It's like this structure that you just kind of like flick the wrist and it explodes into a bunch of pieces. So um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're supposed to do that though, but 
But it is a lot of fun. But that, that, that's the image. That's the image of the power of God. The power of God's king compared to the power of all the world's leaders combined. Just a little swing and the whole structure breaks down. So intro, part two, Jesus is king. And when rulers and leaders rage and conspire against him, his super oppressive desire for all of those to love God and love their neighbor when they try hard to break free of that, it couldn't be any more useless. And it's gonna be extremely frustrating to deny the rule and reign of the king of the world, the rule and reign of Jesus. That's the frustration of denial. Fine, push back. It won't advantage you and the efforts will be a total waste. Now you may not believe that, or you might have some questions about how that works itself out. And if that's the case, that's okay. This is just the introduction to our king. But if you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, Jesus totally rules and reigns. I bet that really does frustrate some people. If that's the path in your mind you go down, if that's the way you're thinking, you're missing a really important part to the rule of King Jesus because it's not just about these out there big social or government systems. Jesus isn't just king out there. It's about every detail of my life, your life, the working of all of God's creation. And that's kind of the idea that's being presented here. He is the king over everything. And even if you're willing to confess with your mouth, you deny this with your actions day in and day out. You rage against the king and you're frustrated by the denial of his rule and reign over everything. As am I. Think about it. Think about when God calls you to love your neighbor or love him, and you just don't want to because you're not really about the circumstances that, that King Jesus has currently brought into your life. You push back against his rule and you say, no, for, for whatever reason, I don't have to love you, Lord, or, or love my neighbor, or I don't want to. And maybe that's because the, the person you're called to love just doesn't, doesn't care about you, so you make excuses, why you don't have to be kind or considerate. Uh, maybe you don't love God because you're looking at all the terrible things he's brought into your life and, and you can't, can't see how it could either be a good God or a wise God. Now, maybe you feel like you should be in a better place, like a, like a better job or a better marriage. Or, so you use all, all those things as an excuse to, to not love your neighbor or love your creator. It's it's actually really easy to look out there and be comfortable with the rule and reign of King Jesus. But the Psalm is making a point that he doesn't just rule out there. He rules all and ensures all things happen exactly according to the plan of God. And when you and I avoid loving God or loving neighbor because of our circumstances, that just leads to the frustration of the denial of the rule and reign of Jesus. 
That's where you and I plot against his plans, rage against his rule. And if he's laughing at the attempts of all the most powerful people in the world, why do we think we stand a chance? You don't. Honestly, it'll just end in frustration. So what do we do? How do we handle the hard people in our life? The circumstances around us that are often just the worst. Or even just missing out on good things like a job we imagine or the friends we want or, or a cool apartment. How do we deal with all the truly broken things in the world, but still accept the rule and reign of King Jesus and still desire to love God and love our neighbor? How does that work? Well, that comes from the blessing of acceptance. So let's take a look at the last section. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Remember, this is the narrator giving us a little recap. After the conversation, he sums it up with a therefore, or, or like in light of what you just read, the first thing he says is watch out. You don't want to be the one taking on God's king. You don't want to be the one raging against the plans of the king of the universe. It's just not safe. So kiss the son, honor the son. Respect his position. Give him the credit and the title due to him. And not just that, serve him. Love God and love your neighbor in everything you do because that's what's required of you. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, being told to just get in line Sounds like more of a curse than a blessing. Sure, loving God and loving neighbor seems good, but I'm not a huge fan of accepting the rule and reign of the son in every part of my life. That does not sound like a blessing. And if I'm honest, it kind of sounds a little impossible and potentially lame. Because it seems like if I'm concerned about loving God and loving my neighbor in every circumstance, it seems like things could actually be worse. How is that a blessing? How, how is that a blessing? Look at the last line in the Psalm. The blessing actually doesn't come from the obedience. It comes from taking refuge in him, taking shelter in the sun. That's, that's actually where you find the blessing. The king, the king doesn't just want you to get in line. 
The king wants you to find everything you ever wanted in him. This is, I can't overstate how important this is. This is like Christianity at the core. The king does not just want you to get in line. The king wants you to find everything you ever wanted in him. For starters, it's, it's obvious that we don't always love God and love neighbor. But that's why Jesus had to die in the first place. That's why Jesus came down to this broken world for you, loved you perfectly, loved his father perfectly, and on the cross took the punishment for those who don't. For a more full answer to that question, just ask the kids, why is Jesus the gospel? And they'll be happy to give you the answer. But do you know what that gets you? Why does that matter? That gets you affection, interest, compassion, and the love of the creator himself. Today, today, in the son, in him, if you take refuge in him, you have all the affection, all the interest, all the love, not from the people around us, not from these images of God, but from God himself. That's the blessing of acceptance. The acceptance of our God because of the work of our King. And that's not it. There, there's, there's more. The, the throne that he's on, that position of power, glory, and might, you get that too. You want to succeed in this world at sports, at a video game? You want to feel valuable because of what you've accomplished? You are aiming way too low. Look what King Jesus says to his suffering churches under the rule of the wicked Roman Empire in Revelation chapter 2. This is what he says from Jesus' mouth. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. This is straight from our psalm. And do you see what he's promising you? If you take refuge in him, if you find everything you need in him so that you're able to prosper, so that you're able to, to conquer in the same way that Jesus did in suffering, then you're moving towards the same reward he has today. You're destined for the same glory he has now. And if you take refuge in him, then the glory of the heavenly throne the power and might given to our suffering savior is the same glory that you deserve because you're taking refuge in him. This is why we kiss the son. This is why we serve him. We're overwhelmed with all the blessings of acceptance that come from taking refuge in him. And this is why the introduction 
to the Psalms is so important to the entire book. Jesus was the suffering man of Psalm 1, who became the all-powerful ruler of Psalm 2. That pattern, that movement from suffering and submitting to glory and power, from humiliation on the cross to majesty on a throne is the pattern that all of those who take refuge in this king. This pattern from suffering to glory is the pattern of the entire book of Psalms because it's the pattern of Jesus and the pattern of those who are in Jesus, who take refuge in him. So if you're in Christ and you kiss the son, you take refuge in the king, the suffering you experience is only the path to the glory and majesty that Jesus has today. That's the comfort of acceptance. If you delight in what the current king of the universe did on the cross, and look forward to the blessing of future glory that's guaranteed by his work, then you, like Paul, can say with a straight face that the suffering of this present world, the difficulties of loving God and my neighbor do not compare to the glory that's set before me. That's the comfort of acceptance. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need to taste the glory of who you are in Psalm 2. We're thankful that you suffered on our behalf. Yet you are today, Lord, and we worship you for that. Lord, help us, help us get a glimpse, help us get a glimpse of that glory so that we would see serving you, humbling ourselves before you as a joy, as something we look forward to doing in all the circumstances you bring in our lives, Lord. God, we need a miracle by your spirit to make that real, Lord. And that's exactly what you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Lord, I pray that these things would be impressed on our mind, uh, even for the weeks to come. In your name I pray, amen.